0: Good afternoon everybody and welcome to the Real Estate Rundown. I want to welcome you back and today we've got a special guest who is the star of his own podcast. He's a professional real estate fund manager. He's got about 43 million dollars worth of assets under management. He is a co-founder of Mesos Capital, and he is not only, that's not, that's just the beginning of where he started, guys. This guy has a master's degree from Carnegie Mellon University. He's got an engineering background, he's worked in the FinTech industry, but now he's focusing on real estate. Here to talk with us today, guys, is Pancham Gupta.
1: Good morning. Good morning, Shannon. Thank you for having me on
0: you have a really diverse list of things that you've done. I mean, you came from college career background with a, with a master's degree, with going into engineering, and, and, and now you're completely over into real estate. Tell us yes. a little bit about that journey.
1: Absolutely. So uh, even before the college degree, so I am originally from India. I was born and brought up there. I came to the US for for my master's degree in computers uh, from Carnegie Mellon. And the idea at the time was that I would get my degree and I would go back home uh, to my home country to do something on my own there. And uh, I was, you know, I just started working here to get some work experience and all that. And, you know, in 2009, uh, we actually sold everything that, uh, you know, we had to go back. And then we, found out that you know we are expecting our first kid uh we said okay you know what let's delay the plans and the history will have it we never go back we decide to stay here and um, you know in 2011 12 i started uh, you know when i decided that i'm going, not going back i st- started reading a lot of books about investing here and uh i read this purple book by robert kiyosaki rich dad poor dad and Cashflow Quadrant. it has changed many people's lives so it did for me as well and i started investing in real estate uh as a hobby slowly it became you know uh addiction for me and at some point it became Passion for me, uh, uh, you know, I had properties in over five different states as a as a side, you know, investing thing, and then slowly I started raising capital. Also, people started reaching out to me to invest their capital because they knew what I was doing, and from there on, I, you know, uh, decided that this is what I want to do full time, and I quit my job and started doing syndications full time. So that's the long and short of it, uh, real quick, but. Yeah, that was the journey.
0: You're one of many people that mentioned Robert Kiyosaki, but you're one of few people that are honest enough to tell people that real estate can become an addiction because it really can. You know, it's something that starts out as a hobby, but then it, it slowly takes over your life. And then the next thing you know, you're on vacation, you're driving through Hawaii. You say, oh, look at this. I wonder what that house will be sell for. And then I wonder what it would rent for. And your wife just wants to go to the beach, but it becomes an addiction. And it's so funny because most people won't won't admit to it. All of us that are in real estate full-time know that it is an addiction. But I'm glad you pointed that out and and you're not afraid to be honest with my listeners. That's awesome. From what I heard, you've only been doing real estate even as a hobby for about eight years. And you've only been doing it full-time
1: for how long? Uh, Full-time, a little over a year, actually.
0: When was it that you realized that you could stop doing the daily grind and really do this full-time and make this 100% of what you do in real estate?
1: So that was a slow progression to that decision. But really, at some point, I realized that, you know, why am I doing this daily grind where I have this little thing that I'm so passionate about and, uh, you know, that I, I would literally not sleep at nights and look at the deals and all that so uh, in 2017 I really realized that you know what uh, even though I have a very high paying lucrative career in fintech this is something that I want to make as my full-time passion like you know pursue my passion full-time gig so uh, it was really a decision there was nothing really that I had to go through uh, you know Physically, it was more more mentally and I it was like, you know, very hard decision for me. My parents, my wife, like everyone actually was against it for me to quit my full-time job, uh, which was actually very, very lucrative.
0: You know, we all get comfortable with the security, right, that a job is. I mean, you know that your wife knows that on the 1st and the 15th, there is money in the bank account and yeah. and the real estate, well, that's kind of his hobby, you know. And so maybe we're going to buy another property and then all the money goes away again because that's what he used to buy the property, right? My, yeah. wife, my wife does the same thing. She says, do we have any money or are you buying another property? <laughs> <laughs> and I just have to tell her, I said, you know, it's all going to pay off someday. And she said, yes, but the electric company called and they want paid today. <laughs> so, but so so you are doing syndications with your multifamily tell us tell us more about that and and what you've got going on.
1: It's me and my partner, two of us before I quit my job, we've done like five syndications and that's what me and my partner started doing back in 2017 where we pulled together a bunch of resources in this case money from uh friends, family different people to go buy multifamily buildings and Um, and give out uh, nice returns in return for this uh, invested capital and also make the community better for the tenants and and, uh, overall uh, win-win situation for everyone who's involved in the project. So, so far we've done uh, five syndications and uh, we are in the process of creating a brand new fund because we believe, given that we are in this uh, COVID-19 situation where, you know, uh, in six months to a year, we are going to have a lot of good opportunities available for us to invest our uh, capital and uh, generate some good returns for the investors.
0: So, you know, a lot of people are saying that we're going to have, you know, the COVID slowdown, we're going to have, you know, the COVID crush, we're going to have you know the foreclosures, the forbearances are going to hit. What what particularly makes you believe that the economy is going to suffer because of COVID, and and when when do you think that's going to happen?
1: Yes, so that's again a very very good question, a million dollar question. I'll give you my opinion on that. So there is this uh, you know this guy Beck uh, Beck Minister Fuller. Uh, you know he had this theory on you know when whenever you hit you throw a rock in the, in the puddle, like, you know, so there's a ripple effect, right? There's a smaller ripple than bigger and there's, you know, bigger ripple. So right now, like, you know, I have a lot of friends and who own businesses like whether it's restaurants or gym owners or spa owners and different kinds of small businesses that are out there, even though stock market is going up and up and up and federal reserve is uh, printing a lot of money to, to, sustain all of this what i'm seeing on the ground is that there are a lot of people who are actually hurting who have small businesses uh, you know yeah they are getting they're okay right now because they got some you know uh relief from the different kinds of loans that were given out but when this all goes away uh, you know i believe that we will start to see it will start happen at a level of small businesses and slowly those people who own those businesses will will be in trouble or the employees who are working there will be in trouble and it will be a ripple effect like you know smaller circle becoming a bigger circle and all that and you know in uh, again it's very hard to predict when will this happen but my guess is that uh, if this thing were to stop after, I believe election could be the key point there uh, where the, the uh, stimulus runs out or if, what, we don't know what will happen there. But, you know, in 12 months to 18 months, really, we will start seeing some kind of impact, assuming that uh, this money runs out uh, or, or people who are hurting right now uh, will not have any relief later on.
0: You know, I, I just pulled that up because I, I had a quick question about what you were talking about as far as small business. And small businesses actually make up 64% of the new jobs created in the United States in 2019. So really, when if what you're saying happens that small businesses go away or some of them die, some of them get closed, some of the people that were going to open their business this year that aren't going to open it, you're looking at a lot of new jobs that aren't going to be created. Without jobs, you have unemployment go higher with unemployment going higher. You have less uh, funds in, the, in, in, in your household to, to rent, to, to get your properties, to, to pay for your, you know, your food and clothes and all that kind of stuff. So it really does change a lot. And, and I think a lot of people forget that, you know, small business is the largest employment driver in the U.S. It's not Absolutely. big business. And so when small business gets hit, everybody's talking about the airlines are getting hit and and, and Marriott's getting hit and the Hilton's suffering. But, but you're right, the gym owner and the restaurant owner and, and those guys are really getting hurt. When that happens, that's going to create quite a bit of opportunity because there's going to be a lot of constriction of the cash in the economy, which those operators that that weren't leveraged properly or were leveraged too far are going to be struggling. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people that, uh, don't you agree, that we're getting ready to sell that are going to say, well, let's go ahead and sell before the price goes down any farther. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I see for several reasons, we're going to see a lot of a shift in the market. I think I think you're right. There will be a shift. Now, I'm not going to say that it's going to be a recession. But I do think that you're going to see some pricing changes. I, I definitely do. Do you think that banking is going to play a part of that with the, the difference in the uh, reserves that they're requiring and, and some of the other things that you might see?
1: Yeah, you mean in terms of the funding of uh, the, yeah. the things? Yeah, they are definitely. They are. We are already seeing those changes in the debt markets where the banks have... Uh, gotten really strict on their lending criteria you know we are actually in the middle of i'll give you a very quick example we're in the middle of refinance of one of our buildings and uh, they increased the debt service coverage ratio which is really how much money you have left over uh, you know after you pay out the debt uh, they have increased that ratio and then on top of that they've also asked us to put in 12 months of uh, you know principle and interest in the escrow which is subject to certain conditions to be released so what that really does is that you now need to bring in more capital to actually close some of these deals and so that goes back to the same thing like how many of these deals will actually work out if you have uh, you know very few banks number one lending and then on top of that you have uh, very strict criteria on the debt terms. You
0: know, and, and so then for those of you that are following along with your calculators, you'll see that as you have to add another 12 months months worth of interest in reserves, it means that you're bringing more cash to the deal, which means that your return has to be dispersed by more people, which is gonna drive down your returns. As exactly. we all know, without certain returns, we're not gonna do the deal which then puts the pressure back on the seller to adjust the purchase price. And that's, exactly. where, and that's where we're going to see, I agree with you, uh, that we're going to see the biggest push back is in the finance area where we've got to bring cash to the deal. Um, I think that the stock market is going to help us uh, bring more capital out of the stock market into real estate because it's getting crazy out there
1: uh and it's i getting think crazy seriously you know, like you know it says that <laughs> It's like the fundamentals are completely defied right now. Like you know, these things are trading, and you can understand they're printing so much money, and there's the this capital has to go somewhere. You're not really getting much in the bank, so what does this capital do? It needs to find some place, and all of most of it is going in the stock market, and especially after the vaccine is, uh, if the vaccine comes out, uh, and you know it's positive. We believe this capital will find even more, like we'll try to find home, yeah. for for it, right?
0: Well, and and you know, I mean, it, it reminds all of us that have been around for a while what it was like with the dot com bubble, or you know, uh, the I mean, all of those kinds of things where we just saw. Why are you investing in that? Because it's going up. Why you know. <laughs> I, I really admire what Elon Musk has done with Tesla, but I don't agree with the with the price of the stock right
1: now because it's exactly. crazy, you know. Exactly. And, and Shannon, you have been around for for all multiple of these recessions, yeah. right? Yeah. And and you can even like your experience. I'm sure it's always something. Yeah. And the end result is the same, right? Yeah. The only
0: thing higher than Tesla's stock price is that first rocket they shot off to Mars, right? I mean, <laughs> it's, it doesn't make any sense. And so then we come back to the fundamentals of what we do, what you and I do in real estate where it, it doesn't matter what the markets do, people still yeah. need housing. They still yeah. need the ability to shelter and, and that will always be there. So when you are looking, when you look at your properties and what you have in your portfolio, do you have class B, class A, class C? What, which ones do you have?
1: So we have a mixture of class B and class C products in our, in our portfolio, so I would say about
0: 50-50. And where do you think the value is going to be going into the market that we're going into? Is it gonna be in the class Cs or is it gonna be in the Bs?
1: so that's a very good question i'll tell you uh my personal opinion is class b like b minus uh so to speak b b minus and uh what we are seeing even now like our our delinquency which is the number of people who are not paying uh like the the rent that they were supposed to pay is slightly higher in c's than in b's uh you know uh uh, for whatever reason. And and also right now, what we have seen, and I'm sure you would have seen that in your markets too, but the, the spread between the pricing per unit uh, of pri- class C product and class B product has reduced over time. And uh, so you could buy uh, Class C product, like Class B product, with not a lot, lot of premium on top of what you would pay if it was a Class C product. So what we like our personal philosophy is that we believe that Class B product or Class B minus is going to uh, is is a better, you know, value for money right now, and uh, and when as the time goes on. We believe Class C, just like a small cap stocks versus you know big cap, Class C product will fall a lot more in value as compared to Class B, and yes, then there will be opportunities in Class C. You
0: know, and it's funny because as like with all markets, and and I, I will I will be the first to admit that you know the real estate market is hot also, right? I mean, yeah, three exactly. percent interest rates will heat up any market, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, but but when you when you really think about what you're saying as far as class c you know everybody looks at it and goes well if i get in at the bottom and i buy this one that needs a lot of work then i can make my class c a a c plus or maybe a b minus so i will buy this one and hope and push and do more and then what's probably happening is a lot of the operators that have done that and they're on their their fifth or sixth year of doing the class Cs are now moving to the class Bs where they can go, nah, I don't want to do so much work. I want to know that there's some solid value in there that I'm not fighting against falling into the lower echelon of the market. And, and, you know, so there's been that pressure, you're right, to bring it there to where, you know, you can buy them for this much, but just for a little bit more, you can get to class B. And what do you think is going to happen with class A as we go into the market that we're headed into?
1: <laughs> that remains to be seen. I think location will play a very key role there uh, in terms of class A. Uh, all the jobs, you know, we have people who are making good salaries in, in class A product. And the kind of tenant base that's there is someone who really cares about, you know, uh, Paying on time and paying, uh, you know, uh, and having jobs worry about their credit scores and keeping the place nice and clean and all that. So uh, I would say that it would be very location uh, specific, in my opinion, like all these areas which are. Uh, which have diversification of jobs and have high paying jobs. For example, we are very focused in Raleigh market, I believe, uh, which is a tech hub in North Carolina, right? Like uh, on the East side, we believe that that market is not going to uh, have a lot of impact as far as the class A product. But then we have some uh, uh, some of the buildings which are way in the outskirts, right? Like in the... Uh, MSAs where there's not a lot of uh, high paying jobs and if you have a class A product there that is going to suffer quite a bit.
0: There's again it's just like the class B and the class C right people they get out a little bit farther and they say well this is a better deal because you know the price there but you know it's also farther away and so when people are looking at it and going well you know uh, rarely do people look at it and say well I'm losing my job I'm going to move farther away you know uh, people look at it and, and they try and stay where they're at. They might come out of an A class and go to a B class, but exactly. they tend to stay where they're at. If they're a commuting person, uh, they're gonna commute anyway. And, and what I'm seeing, uh, because you know we're in Boise, Idaho, and Boise, Idaho has an MSA of about 700,000 people, uh, but we are seeing people move from the left coast, left and right. I mean, we're seeing them come in all the time. And we're seeing more now than before COVID. We're seeing right. more people more during COVID than before because people are looking at it going, you know what, if I'm going to be locked somewhere, I'm going to be locked where I can look at the mountains or I can, you know, where my neighbor is not six feet above me or eight feet below me and right beside me, I, I have a house, you know, Things are still fairly affordable where we're at, and then when you have companies like Twitter and Facebook that say you don't have to come back in the office ever, then all of a sudden people go, "Well, I can keep my job, and I can, I can now do what I need to do from, from another place." And so we're seeing a lot of people move into Idaho. Texas is seeing the same kind of thing. Phoenix is seeing the same kind of thing, and so. Well, while I agree with you on the rally in the outside areas, I completely think it does matter on location because we are the outside area yeah, and we're getting everybody moving to us because of how they work, not where they work.
1: Exactly. I think you're absolutely right. So that's what it, it, that location has to be in demand like Boise or Texas and that some of the locations you mentioned, right, where people do want to go like phoenix for example and and kind of work from there so those locations are going to be in hot demand like you know where people they would like to live where they want to live and then work at facebook let's say from those locations
0: yeah where are you looking at for your next deal what what is your sweet spot
1: So our sweet spot is in terms of, you know, like we are looking at six markets, mainly in the southeast and uh, uh, there are three in Florida and two in North Carolina, Raleigh and Charlotte and one in Atlanta, like Georgia, which is Atlanta. So these are the six markets that we we are looking at. And our sweet spot is like we were discussing class B product. And between, you know, 10 to $20 million uh, worth of, uh, you know, deal and, you know, built right after 1985, uh, anything after 1985, we are not looking at anything that was built before 1985. So that's where we are. I mean, we have a long checklist of criteria, you know, that we are looking at. Uh, but that's our sweet spot, like the average rents have to be at least $700 and the median household income has to be at least $40,000 and things like that. And I would imagine uh, with,
0: with an engineering degree, you have quite the checklist of of uh, criteria.
1: We have actually a long checklist <laughs> and we actually send that to all the brokers. And so that way it helps us with the deal flow. Like, you know, we only get things that we really uh, want, but if it does fit that criteria, then we can get pretty aggressive.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, I I, I want to point out again punchum how bad your addiction has gotten because you've only been doing this full-time for a little over a year and you said between 10 and 20 million dollars like you are Warren Buffett. Like you <laughs> like you like you deal with 10 and 20 million dollars all the time because because you you've been looking, you've been looking and you you've done the deals you've done very successfully and you've gotten comfortable and my congratulations to you on being able to to Take this from a hobby to a full-time job to replace what you were making, but become comfortable in your new profession because this doesn't have anything to do with engineering. This (laughs) is not like engineering at all. It's not like you went from computer engineering to civil engineering where you still have provable theories and all the things that go into in and out of engineers' minds, you know? uh but this is this is very very different this is a very fluid experience how has that been for you coming from the rigidity of engineering mm-hmm. to the fluid market movement tenant movement pricing uh financing the all the things that are fluid in a in a real estate deal how has that been a change for you
1: so you know in engineers they, they are known for this analysis uh you know paralysis by analysis, right? So uh, you, you're right. It's it's very, very different from engineering, but I'll tell you that, you know, I was in finance for 14 years, engineering, fintech industry. So uh, the engineering actually has helped me to create processes uh, in this business where I feel that there is a lot of, the lot of, be desired to improve the processes and you know get to a point where you have a streamlined process, like just the way in engineering. So uh, you know, for for me to adapt to this new world, the moving world, right right after quit my job. Imagine COVID happened. Who would have imagined that you know this COVID situation uh, will happen? But again, uh, it all comes down to the mindset, and I believe that uh, whether you have any kind of degree whatever you're passionate about, you would find way to actually make yourself comfortable and, and get to a point where you enjoy it so much that you kind of block out all the negativity or negative thoughts that you have. So,
0: you know, you mentioned that too. And, and, you know, I can only imagine the order that an engineering mind would bring to the chaos of real estate, you know, <laughs> and I know that for me, you know as as a developer and and in a in a builder a general contractor i look at i look at putting the subcontractors there to do the organization right i mean right. i don't look at putting all the plumbing pipes together i look at the plumber to do that so he brings the order i just bring the people whereas an engineer they have to bring the process and they have to have the standard operating procedure for <laughs> this but I would love to be a part of a deal like that because it would make me feel very comfortable that everything has been thought of. You know, everything is is on paper, everything is written down, everything is double checked and and that would be very different than a lot of developers in how they do things, myself included, because a lot of what I know is from 25 years in the market. You know, a lot of what I what I get right here is the same as what you get right here but it's it's this that's been happening for 25 years and we bought that and this proved to be right and we bought that and then this proved to be right and now we have it in our gut but to have the checklist and, and and we're we're very much in the process of doing that i i have a gentleman who is bringing everything under one roof and standardizing all of our operating procedures and getting our due diligence checklists all standardized because we have a different one for industrial we have a different one for multifamily, and getting it all the same and so you would love that it, here in six months when all my checklists are the same you i will, I will show you and then you you'll, you'll look no. at that and go well that's a great start but
1: yeah no no actually this is this is great and i'll tell you what you just mentioned you mentioned one very very key principle for any business not just real estate which is People, right? Like you have people, right? People for the right job, and you know that reminds me of a quote from Henry Ford. And once he was questioned, right, that yeah. you know, how come you know everything? And they all got together, and he just picked up the phone and got the right person. He's like, yeah. you know, I do the most important thing, which is think.
0: Right. Yeah. And you know, Henry Ford, I, I quote him all the time because he's he's known to have said, "I don't know the answer to that, but I have someone that does."
1: Exactly. You
0: know? My other, my other favorite saying is, stay in your swim lane, right? Uh, it's not famous, but it's, it's what I say all the time. And, and I find sometimes that the people that work with me, uh, they tell me, that's not your swim lane. You're over here in my side of the pond and you're dog paddling where you shouldn't be, Shannon, get out of here. And it's true. And, and you're so right because the people make the deals. You know, the people that you're working with, the people that you're, that you're employing, the people that you're contracting with, the people that are the brokers that you're working with, everybody in the deal and how you treat them and how they, they work together is so important in real estate because it has to, to make that, that engine continue to go around and, and, and to, to get where it's going to go. So now, now you mentioned earlier that you are creating a real estate fund. explain to us what the difference is between a real estate fund and a syndication as we all know syndications
1: sure so in a real estate fund like in a syndication you are actually doing uh, a single deal syndication you're actually buying a deal and you're raising capital for that deal and the fund raise is complete and the fund is uh, like the individual syndication is closed as soon as that deal is done so it is very very specific to that one deal people come in they, inv- they know exactly what they're investing in and and they uh, you know invest in that deal and it's done there's no more investors coming in for any other deal but in a fund what happens is that instead of having one deal you have objectives that you want to uh, stick to. So for example, if you're creating a fund, you will say, okay, we are going to look at hundred plus unit deals. It will be built between this and this, and there will be a bunch of objectives that you want trying to hit. And people will be investing in that fund based on those objectives. And then you will go out as a fund manager to buy deals which fill that, fit that criteria. So it could be deal one, deal two, deal three, all under that one fund. And then, uh, you know, people as investors, they will get benefits of that, diversification uh, among those, uh, you know, different kinds of asset types or different locations or all that stuff. Uh, But, and also, uh, you know, they they don't have to know the deal. So they are trusting you as a sponsor or or the jockey uh, of the horse to pick the right one for them. And then uh, you go out and do the deal. So that's the difference between fund and doing a individual syndications. It's similar to like, for example, investing in a REIT. Uh, this is a level below the REIT. REITs are traded on a, pub, on a on a public exchange. But at the end of the day, REITs have objectives. And you actually go invest in a REIT. You don't know which deal you've actually invested in. It is the fund manager who is making that decision for you.
0: So why, Panjsham, why are you taking it from a single specific deal to a fund what is the advantage for you what is the advantage for your investors
1: so i'll tell you why we are doing it number one right for us the majority of like major reason is that we believe right now that a lot of Capital is waiting on the sidelines and, you know, looking for the deals. And we also believe in some of the markets that we are in, that we are going to get these opportunities. And we are also looking at development. And so what we want to do is we want to kind of get the money side of the equation uh, out of the way and be ready when a deal comes to actually go and grab those things. So uh, we've been talking to multiple brokers and some of these deals are going to come and go Uh, So quickly that people who are not ready or who don't have the capital, they won't get the opportunity to actually go and even, uh, you know, get those deals. So that's one of the biggest reasons why we are doing this. And second is the... you know we are trying to look at different opportunities. So we are do, b- doing grounds up development here in the tri-state area, uh, and then also looking at these uh, existing multifamily deals in the southeast. So we want to uh, give that opportunity to our investors who want to be part of both, and they don't want to like have to pick and choose between either one of them when they have certain capital so we have had our investors who have come to us and they said you know what is there a way where they can be part of multiple deals uh with this capital and so that's the other reason and for for us to do this
0: yeah well and especially where you guys have the track record you said you've completed you've gone all the way through the cycle with two of your syndications Uh, and you have that track record and you have investors that have invested with you before and they're comfortable, it would be an easy situation to say, hey, we can create the fund and now we can go track down some of these other deals. Because as you know, with every real estate deal, there's there's two ways to buy it. One is price and one is terms. The quicker you can come to the table with the money and the proof that you have the money, the more real the seller is going to feel, and especially for a distressed seller, they will be very interested in a very quick closing, more interested in that than they will be in the ultimate price, I think, because, it, because of what the property, the pain point that the property is bringing to them is, is what they're trying to eliminate. They're not trying to necessarily, if they're losing the property, they're not trying to recapture dollars, they're, they're trying to stop bleeding. And so exactly. I think that I think that that's a very wise thing. So, so you have you have in a very short period of time come from a part time hobby, as you said, to realizing this was your passion, to moving away from a very good job. Uh, and, and has your wife forgiven you yet?
1: <laughs> What's that? Has your
0: wife forgiven you yet for quitting your job? <laughs> yes,
1: she has. <laughs>
0: You know, my wife would be very concerned if I was going to be working from home all the time. I don't know that she would like that. But uh, but now you are going to the next step that's even a little bit bigger than syndication itself to a fund. That's pretty ambitious, that's very ambitious. But I commend you because you seem to have all the steps and all the pieces in place to make that very successful. So, punchum last question is where can everybody find you and learn more about your podcast, the deals you got going, how to become involved with you, how can they find you?
1: Sure. So, um, the name of the podcast is The Gold Collar Investor. I have this podcast where I teach about personal finance. We don't talk about just real estate, but generally, you know, different asset classes, asset protection, life insurance, things like that. So, they can find out uh, about that on the website, thegoldcollarinvestor.com. And they can reach me at my email, which is p at thegoldcollarinvestor.com. And there is an investor club I have there. If they want any information, they can always reach out and even find me on LinkedIn. Um, so if, right.
0: you, if you've been watching this, you can look right over his head. There's the gold collar investor right on the wall, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> right there. Exactly. You nailed it. And then p at goldcollarinvestor.com.
1: Be at thegoldcollarinvestor.com.
0: the gold investor dot com. The <laughs> gold dot com. All right. Uh so Pancham, I really appreciate your time, and I really appreciate you stopping by the Real Estate Rundown and giving us some insight into what you've been doing. You've been a very busy guy. We can't wait to see what you're going to do in the next coming years with your, your new fund and how that's going to propel you. Uh, I hope that there are deals for you to find that don't cause a major recession, but I hope you all the success in the world, my friend. Thank you so much for coming by the Real Estate Rundown.
1: No, Thank you so much for having me, Shannon.
0: All right. Everybody, it's been Pancham Gupta with The Real Estate Rundown. I'm Shannon Robnett. We will catch you next time. Be good and be safe.